Yeah, so if you don't know me or we haven't met, my name is Andy. I'm one of the on the leadership team here. It's been a pleasure to serve you guys and to be a part of the team that, that, uh, that, that leads this church. It's a heavy morning this morning, hey. It's a heavy morning as we, as we hear news. We just heard about that as a team. I think it was yeah, Friday, Friday afternoon. Um, got the text from Mark and we were able to gather together around his place and just pray over him and encourage you guys, if you're going through the midst of something, you know, God calls us to reach out to family. If you're, if you're going through something, please let us know. Um, there's a lot, there's a big community, there's a lot going on, but don't let your issue just sink back. It's easy to say that, I'll just say my prayer, I'll just get my people to say it. We want to pray for you as a church. We want to hold your hand and we want to declare victory over, over different situations that are happening. It's kind of funny, like we, uh, we've had a bit of an issue this, this morning. It's kind of, we've like struggled for setup. I think I, uh, we, we came in, we, uh, there was a school play here last night, so they had that stuff. They got it all packed out yesterday, but we just had a bit of difficulty setting up here this morning and everything this morning has felt like a little bit gritty. Would you agree? I don't know, at least to me, maybe you're a visitor and this seems all amazing and that's, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and the, the worship team have done an amazing job in, in leading us despite our not having rehearsal this week and different things. And it kind of actually fits in with where we're going and, and also the news that we've, we've heard for the Manfredi family as well. It kind of fits in with where I'm going with the preach, though. We didn't know these a few days ago where we, when we picked out what we're going to preach about this week. But what we're preaching about this week is um, one of the miracles that made it all into all four Gospels. We heard this week, actually, at the Equip, this was mentioned, and it's one of the reasons why we're talking about it this morning. But we're going to talk about this morning the feeding of the 5,000. And as we've been getting into it, as we discussed this as a, as a leadership team about what to preach uh, after the equip, a few of us were just picking back out this, this verse as a significant thing for us as a church. So it's my honor just to bring that again before you this morning and just to, for it to encourage us. And I believe that we can be empowered out of this message. We can seek victory out of this message. We can see what's in our hand and the, the failure of what we've got and it's not enough. And we can take that into, into to what God's called us to be, into his vision for us, not our own abilities. Uh, we get to examine ourselves as a crowd this morning. We're a crowd before Jesus. You know, we've gathered together. We're here for different reasons. We get to examine ourselves through this story as disciples of Jesus, as those ministering to the crowd. And we get to examine ourselves. What was the third way? Anyway, I should probably look at my notes here. Um, there's another way. Stay tuned. You're good. Um, so again, um, I'm going to re- just read off with the, with the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I think it's one of those things, if, you, if you've grown up in church, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the things you learn about at like age three and four. Slow down. Okay, Camilla's telling me to slow down. <laughs> um, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those things that we hear about at an early age. Would you agree? Like they, they probably heard about it in Sunday school. And then as adults, we actually don't hear about it very often. There's some things of like Jesus' ministry, the popular things, Noah's Ark, all this other stuff that we relegate to kids' ministry. We think we know everything about the feeding of the 5,000. We learned that when we were younger. But it was so cool to hear it at the Equip this week because there's value and it's like such a significant story for only two miracles made it into all four Gospels. One of them was Jesus raising from the dead. The other one was this story. Yet I think it's probably been a very long time since we've talked about it. So it's really cool. So I pray for us this morning that we would just open our ears, that we would hear afresh. And I tell you guys, I've been so challenged through these verses. These verses that I thought I knew well, these verses that I could... I could, you know, without reading the things, I could tell you pretty much all the details about it, all the, all the little things, just because it's something that we, we know about as Christ, for the majority of us who've been believers for a while. 
Um, because it's in all four, four Gospels, I'm actually going to reference three of them as we go through. So I'm sorry if you're looking to follow along in your Bibles. You could find it in, find it in John 6 if you want to turn to a particular passage. That's the one I'll be using the most. But I'm going to be bouncing around a little between John, Matthew, and Mark because they all pick out different pieces of the story. Paul, you're telling me to slow down as well. I think you guys need to speed up. Okay? Okay? So just... Can we get the coffee out again? Because I've had a little too much, apparently. Okay. So keep, keep telling me to slow down. I appreciate it, but it probably won't happen. Okay. Sweet. So let's turn our Bibles to John 6, and let's ask God for us to speak to us this morning. Lord God, we just pray that you open our ears this morning to you. Lord God, we, come, we confess that we come heavy this morning, Lord God. We come, we come heavy from the news that we've heard this morning. We come heavy from other things. But we rejoice because the God, the Jesus Christ that walked the earth 2,000 years ago that we're going to find in this scriptures this morning is still alive today. And it's, he's as alive today and he's as amongst us today as he was back then, except that he's in all of us, Lord God. So I pray that you would just come in, you'd penetrate in, you'd highlight the things, that people would hear your Holy Spirit stirring on them this morning already with the things that you want to point out. And Lord God, I pray that we would just take things away this morning that you want to deliver to Nanaimo, to our workplaces, to our families, to every situation that's happening, Lord God. In your name, amen. We just pray that you would enable this message. Good God. So yeah, let's turn to John 6, 1 to 3. We'll start there. Dan's going to try and keep up on the screen. I apologize, Dan. Um, so yeah, so we, 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 we find the disciples and it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat there with his disciples. Matthew 14. He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Back to John. Now the, pastor, now, the, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. The disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Over to Mark. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. They said to him, back to Matthew. Sorry, is this okay? I know it's kind of funky, but there's different things in each gospel that I want to pick out here for the benefit. Um, They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Back over to John 6. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So that they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
perceiving that they were about to come and take him, that's Jesus, they were about to come and take Jesus by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, I want to look at the piece of large crowds this morning. We're at an Oceanside Church. We've been around for like 22, 23 years now. I think we've just maybe passed the 23-year mark now. Um, we're getting to be a large crowd. Um, as well, there's many large crowds around our society. We define ourselves in different ways. This is one of the large crowds. Jesus found a large crowd following at that time. Um, how, how many Raptors fans in the house this morning here? Okay. How many of you were Raptors fans five weeks ago? <laughs> Wes. There's a, there's a couple. It's funny how, right, when a particular team does well, a particular thing is happening, or there's a particular victory that's at hand, we all suddenly become, want to be part of the crowd, part of the in crowd that's gonna, that is on the cusp of something great. It's fun to be part of that. It's fun, like, growing up in England with the different football leagues, you all become a better fan if England's doing better. If England sucks, you're like, nah, I'm not really a fan of football. But if England's doing well, then there's like 70 million people, suddenly great football fans and all this other stuff. And the same thing was happening to Jesus. About halfway through Jesus' ministry, he started to gather some pretty large crowds. And this was one of the biggest crowds that Jesus ministered to. Yeah, it says in John 6, 1 to 3, just to recap. Uh, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So that's the why they were following him. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. It's kind of funny, if you just read the, the, the preemption to this story, the, the thing that comes before it, you find out that the Jesus and the disciples just had a bit of a busy season and they were actually trying to escape away from everybody. They got in a boat, they, they went to a, a, like kind of a desolate place that'll be mentioned later, and they were trying to get away. They were trying to take a break, and then this big crowd finds them. Have you ever ha- happened that? You ever gone on vacation and met someone you knew? Okay, you're, that's never a bad thing for any of you. I'm a bit of an introvert if I like go somewhere, like, I want to just be at peace, and I find someone like, oh, now I've got to interact. You kind of like, <laughs> that's just me. Camilla's the opposite, and that's why we married each other. Um, but that can happen sometimes. Can you imagine Jesus and the 12 disciples? They've just had a busy time of preaching and speaking the word, and they just wanted to get away. And I love this story because it's a significant story in the Bible that they weren't really looking for. They weren't going around trying to, they weren't like sending out messages, hey, we've got a loaves and fishes conference coming up. Everybody come to the conference. No, this was a spontaneous thing when they were trying to take a break. And that really speaks to me. And the first thing it speaks to me is how Jesus has compassion on people. It says in Matthew 14, 14, he saw a great cow, that's Jesus, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Even though Jesus was looking for a break at that time, maybe he knew what was going to happen, but the disciples didn't. This was an unexpected crowd. And one of the first points I want to bring up this morning is that inconvenient interruptions in our lives are ministry opportunities. We've heard about it before, that the significant interactions that Jesus had with people was on his way to different places. You can read time and time again where Jesus heals people, where significant things happen in the Bible, he's going somewhere. How many of us, when we're going somewhere and someone interrupts us, it's an inconvenient thing? I can think of that myself so much. I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at pausing and seeing the significance of what's about to take place. But Jesus has compassion for every situation. 
a lot of us say, like, a lot of us question, you know, we used to run a, a connect group, and one of the things we used to wrestle with a lot was, God, what is it you want me to do? And I think what, I, what I'm learning as I journey through life, as I journey through, my, uh, through faith and walking out with Jesus and everything like that, actually finding and asking Jesus what he has compassion on, what he has compassion for, is a pretty big example of things that I should go do. So when I meet people and different things, and I do a bad, stinking job at it, but if, if something interrupts me, and Jesus should have compassion in this, if Jesus was here, that he'd have compassion and do something about that, then I should do it too. Knowing the compassion that God has for people or a particular situation is a massive benefit and encouraged to us as believers to know what to act on. And what I want to ask here this morning is like, we, we pray for Mark, we pray for others, but what are people in Nanaimo hungry for? How does Jesus have compassion on Nanaimo? If we were to walk out these doors, and there's tons of need, there's way too much need. There's always going to be need. The Bible says the poor are always going to be with us. But what is the hunger? What's the hunger at your work office? If Jesus was there, what would he see? What would he see and want to, want to do in compassion? Even though it's inconvenient, even though it's not part of our job, or it's not part of our grocery shop or anything like that. Going, going further in, so the second point here is Jesus offers something, a, a word as a test. John 6, from 4 to 6, says, Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. If you know anything about Passover, it was a pretty big deal for the Jews, right? That was what represented them, them coming out of Egypt, them coming out of slavery, them coming into the victory that God, God had won for them. They were about to celebrate Passover, a huge deal. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus says to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this, Get this, he said this to test him, for he knew what he was about to do. It's kind of odd. That struck me as odd as I was reading this. Again, it's kind of odd that Jesus tested Philip here. Does Jesus test us as disciples of him? It's like a father teaching a child. Now that we have little Zion, and he's hold, Zion's kind of like old enough to be tested. I'm like, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get over there? It's 15 feet to the ground up on this climbing frame. Maybe it's not 15 feet. Maybe it's like eight feet up on the ground. Like, are you sure this is a good idea? Like a father teaching his kid, Jesus asks us questions and he tests us when, when these things come up. What have you lifted your eyes up to recently? The f- There's a family here this morning that has lifted their eyes up this week to cancer. There's... That is, is, is a, as Mark wanted to pray for other people this morning here, that's a common situation for us. There's a situation that as we're connected to people, as we're in families, that we're all going to run into. I want to ask you this morning, and I felt as I was preparing, what have you lifted your eyes up to recently that is daunting you? That is like a crowd of 5,000 people coming and, and expecting something from you. If I was one of the disciples, I'm kind of fearful of a crowd of 5,000. What do they want? What do they need? Is there going to be a riot? Different things like that. But what is in your life that, is, that you haven't seen coming, but you now see is coming? There's things that are too big for us, things that are going to overwhelm us unless we go to Jesus. God, the other thing I see in this thing is like, I'm kind of looking at Jesus. He's kind of like having fun with the situation. Hey, there's 5,000 people, possibly 15,000, depending on how you look at it. Hey, here's 5,000 people. What are you going to do about that, disciples? He's kind of having some, kind of having some fun, I think. Um, and one of the things I pick out from that is God is not scared about putting his disciples in difficult situations, yeah. right? Man, as I go, as we've been invited on to leadership, as we've been invited to connect groups, things, we, we just ran into more and more difficult situations. And it's just like, oh, I think, 
things just should get easier over time. But I find that no matter what I do, difficult situations keep coming up. And it's not an abnormal thing. When a difficult situation comes up, it's not, not the will of God because it's difficult. Like, this was a very difficult situation in the natural. It's Passover, that's a huge deal, and there's 5,000 people who have nothing to eat. God's not scared about putting us in difficult situations and then asking them a question like he asked Philip, where are we going to buy some bread, Philip? What are you going to do about it? How is God poking you? What is the impossible thing that stands before you this morning that God is asking you how are you going to get through it? What requires him to act? Our natural response we see next from the disciples. Our natural response is just to, you know, uh, the disciples at this time, they had 5,000 hungry people. It's not really their issue, is it? Right? If, if 5,000 people knocked on Paul McMahon's, Paul does amazing barbecues. If there's one guy you want to befriend in the church, it's Paul, because <laughs> he will feel, f- feed you well. I haven't had a barbecue in a while, Paul. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. But if 5,000 people rocked up to Paul's house and asked for some food, he wouldn't be able to do it. He would probably say, guys, go figure yourselves out. This is not my deal. You came out here. You wandered about in the wilderness trying to find us. Now it's your job to go find yourself some food. In Matthew 15, in Matthew 14, verse 15, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place. They had gone to a desolate place to get away from everybody, and everybody had found them. The disciples said, this is a desolate place. The day's now over. Jesus, you've done your ministry. You've healed the sick. You've taught. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. That's pretty acceptable, right? I'm actually fine with that. If 5,000 people suddenly rocked up at Oceanside, and we have our looking in lunch, I'm like, well, we're not prepared for 5,000 people. <laughs> Nate, how, many, how much food do you have today? Um, how many of us, when confronted with an overwhelming situation, deflect onto somebody else or deflect it back onto the people that are sharing something with us? We shirk our responsibility because it's not our problem, and it isn't our problem in the natural. Their hunger is their problem, but the compassionate God we serve, the way he looks at the situation, it kind of makes it our problem, doesn't it? Jesus sees a situation we look through his eyes, we realize that he is going to have compassion on this servant and um, this person and what he would want to do in that situation if he was here physically. Then we find out that the God we serve kind of makes it sometimes our problem. Jesus' answer to the disciples in the next verse, Matthew 14, 16, strikes me as well with something funny as well that Jesus is kind of having a laugh maybe, just reading this afresh again. But Jesus said to them, said to his disciples, they need not go away you give them something to eat. Can you imagine? So Jesus is with Paul at his house. 5,000 people turn up. Jesus is there. Like, Jesus is the boss guy. Like, everyone's looking to him. And Jesus comes back to Paul and says, hey, Paul, you give, you give them something to eat. It's pretty heavy. Jesus isn't the kind of leader. He's not the kind of God that says, stand back, disciples. Go away, go away. And watch me perform a magic trick. God actually includes us in what he wants to do. God actually puts the ownership sometimes on us, even though everything that's miraculous about it comes from him and is enabled by his Holy Spirit. God is not scared of using his disciples. And God wants to use us, and not just the people who are called to ministry. God wants to use every one of us when we find ourselves in difficult situations. God is putting stuff in our hands, and he's putting the ownership on us, saying, what are you going to do? Feed these people. 
I find this so challenging. I said earlier that I, find this, I found this so challenging this week. Literally every point that I've come up with this week is screaming back at me like a mirror. So please, I'm not, haven't done this. I'm, we're all growing in this. We're all looking to go in this. Jesus is not a stand saying stand back. Watch me do it, guys. Jesus is calling his followers to give something tangible. And there's a higher level of responsibilities for those who are close to Jesus. Your connection, your proximity to Jesus, somehow through this scripture denotes that we have something to offer beyond what is natural. The acceptable thing of saying, let these people sort themselves out. Let these people, there's social systems, there's all this other stuff that's available from the government. You know, we, we see it all around where we say that somebody else's problem, there's a program, there's something else. Somehow, our relationship to Jesus calls us to a higher calling beyond what we would find natural and acceptable. The next, the next portion, I'm just going to turn to Mark here, Mark 6, 37 to 38. The disciples come back to him, and they're being, good job on the disciples here, they're being really obedient in an impossible situation. You know, they're being faith-filled, and they, they come up with a natural solution next. It says in Mark 6, 37, And they said to him, that's Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, looking at this figure, we don't have that currency, but that was about 200 days' wages. If you've got 5,000 people with you, 200 days' wages doesn't buy enough food for 5,000 people to have a Passover feast. A Passover feast is probably a couple days' wages. You've probably got to save up to do that well. And there's not just, there's 500,000, 5,000 men involved. We don't even know how many women and children were at this, uh, this thing either. But the disciples being good disciples, like they're doing well, they're following Jesus, they're counting the cost, they're laying their lives down. Somebody has 200 days wages in their pocket and they're saying, let's use this, let's use this and, and go buy some food for the people. In another, account of the, in, in another account, it says that we've got 200, we've got 200 days wages, but Everyone could have a tiny piece if we do that. And Jesus comes back to them and he says, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Tyron said two weeks ago at the, at the equip, The vision of God calls us to always, the vision, of, the vision that God calls us to will always be bigger than the provision we carry in our pockets. How many times has God laid something on your heart? And you've given up on that thing because you don't have the financial means for it. The disciples were being really obedient in the natural. They were doing everything in the natural. They were using everything that they probably had to try and do what Jesus had commanded them to do. They were really obedient to Jesus in the natural. But it wasn't what Jesus was after in, that, in this case. He wanted to do something way bigger than what they could afford to do. And most of us turn this message, the times where I've heard this message in, in our sort of adult meeting context, we turn this into a financial multiplication message. This message isn't a financial multiplication. It happens. We know it's happened. We've seen it. We've seen financial faithfulness in, in, in Christians' lives time and time again. We're just hearing this week of things that God is doing. But if, if Jesus wanted this story to be about a financial message, about financial, financial multiplication in your life, he would have taken the 200 days wages and he would have made that enough to go buy bread in the, in the place. But he completely swipes past it. He's like, I'm not interested in the money. This story isn't about financial multiplication. This story is about God working in spite of finances. 
Our worth in the kingdom of heaven is not how much money we're able to give away. God does use us that way a lot. We need that. We need that provision. God really works in that way, and we're commanded to sow into the kingdom and be generous. But God has also put so many other things physically in our hands that he wants to use for the kingdom's advancement. Finances is one of them. God time and time again calls us to do greater things than the sum of what we have. And I believe it's a glory thing. With uh, Wes, when he was praying, praying just now, he said that God uses everything for, the, for his glory. God is going to use every situation that the, that the enemy uh, intended for bad, God's going to turn it around for the glory of his own name. And this is the reason why we don't have the provision sometimes. Because if we had everything, if we could do everything in the natural, God would get no glory. We might say, oh yes, you provided me initially and now I've sewn it back back. And that is still giving God the glory. But God wants so much more glory. He wants the glory of the impossible. Right. Another quote from just the equip this last week that kind of speaks into this message as well. Most of us are waiting for God to fill our bank accounts so that we can step out and do what God has called us to do. But that is not what happened here. God called them to step out in spite of the bank account being way not enough for what God was calling them to do. Ken Grenfell uh, was here a few, he's been with us uh, a few different times. He's the old guy that's like a really nice dad type figure. He's kind of prophetic, but he's so gentle that he's just like easy to listen to. He came one time uh, two, three years ago and just something that stuck with me from the time he was talking about, he's a prophetic guy and he was talking about the, the road of obedience that he's had to walk in, in the gift of being prophetic. And one thing me and Camilla were talking about just the other day, it kind of occurred to her as we we're looking at this as well, is that Ken's, when Ken, God will highlight someone to Ken. God will highlight someone. But Ken doesn't know why God is highlighting that person most of the time. 99% of the time, God is not delivered say, hey, you, go deliver this to that person. Here's their name. Here's their social insurance number. Yada, yada, yada. So, they, so you know everything to be true. Most of the time, God, um, Ken feels it in his spirit and he goes and he starts walking over to that person. And as he gets to that person, he still doesn't know what to pray. But as he starts praying, God starts revealing the prophetic word that, that, Jesus, that Jesus and God has for that person. And it's kind of that radical obedience. We assume when these big prophets come to town and these people who have walked in faithfulness for many years, we assume they get a download, they get their bank account filled up to then go and do. But most of the time it doesn't walk out like that. And we as Christians with the gifts that we've got, and we've all got spiritual gifts, we're all called to go do ministry, we're all called to bless. Most of the time we don't have enough until we get to the person we find out what God actually wants to do. The thing that we can learn how to do a bit better is what Jesus does next. Jesus starts leading now. In Matthew 14, 17 to 19, it says, They said to him, We only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. From this account, we see that we really need a heavenly perspective on everything. On everything that we go through, we need a heavenly perspective. We need an eternal perspective. We need to know the bigness of the God that we serve so that we can be obedient with what we've been given. 
If we're not looking at heaven, I've learned so recently, one of the things I wanted to preach about was, was eternity uh, this week, but I, it wasn't the right timing. But God recently has been speaking to me just about eternity. He's been reminding me about the new Jerusalem and, and stuff in eternity and amazing things there because it sets my vision on him and it makes everything down here easier because I know what's going to come, that when this life is over in the blink of an eye where I'm spending eternity and the grandeur of what that is and the, the, yeah, the impossibility of what it is in the natural As we look to heaven, we get heavenly perspective, and that helps us with our earthly situations here. We need a heavenly perspective, and we need to give thanks for what we have. We need to give thanks for those five loaves and those two fish, even though it makes no sense in the natural that it's not enough in that situation. Because only God can multiply it. Then in uh, the end of that verse, verse 19 again, Matthew 14, he then, then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the crowds. Jesus uses us. He takes what we have, blesses it, and then sends us out into the mission field. One of the things that spoke to me as well when I, when I was reading this, Jesus blessed what they had brought to him, right? And then he gave it back to the disciples to hand out. That's, there's kind of like an interesting transaction here. We've got to start believing, if we want to see impact in Nanaimo, if we want to see impact into all the situations that you're thinking about this morning, we need to know that Jesus takes what we have, he takes it, he blesses it, and he sends it. If you only do one of those things, you miss out completely on what God intended. If you just know that Jesus has sent you, but you haven't realized that he's blessed you in that sending, then you just kind of like run up to people and you, you don't have anything to give. You don't really know wh- why, you, why you went. Like many of us, we like, we've, we've gone and done different things. We've, we've gone and done different things, right? We've, we know we've been sent. We know from the Great Commission that God has sent us. But if we don't know what he has blessed us with, we can't do the very thing that we've been sent for. And as well, if you just know that you're blessed by God, but you don't know that you've been sent, then the blessing becomes about you and your thing. And that's actually what happens in this story. That's actually what a lot of the people in the crowd were wrestling. They love Jesus for what they could get. And Jesus points that we'll look at that in a little bit. But if we know that we're blessed by God without knowing that we've been sent to use that thing, then it all becomes about ourselves and we've missed completely why God has given us stuff. After the feeding happens, the, the, the 12 disciples hand out the, the loaves and fishes. I don't, we're kind of called to like speculate on how that actually happened. You know, you've got five loaves, you've got 12 disciples, you've got two fish. Like how, many, how, how did they break these things up and go? Uh, me and Camilla met in Mozambique, and, and they, um, it was a ministry. They, they were called to, to plant orphanages, and this, they, they, the, the bakers who we were under at that time, they had a book called There's Always Enough, and it was about God provision in very difficult situations, in very difficult times. And they actually had a story of the time, a time when God multiplied food, and they've said this happened many times to them. They had a story of when they multiplied food, there was a natural disaster happening, they had, got, they had packed up a couple vans and they had gone to this sort of refugee camp where a lot of people were congregated after a natural disaster. Funnily enough, there's another natural disaster that's just happened in Mozambique as well. But they went and they just had two trucks. And I don't know about you, but if you turn up with two trucks full of food to, let's say, 5,000 people, and it was in the thousands, there's no way what they had in the two trucks was enough to feed the people. Do you know what happens to hungry people when there's not enough food? 
there's usually a riot. There's usually an attack. People get killed. There'll be stampedes. It's a terrible situation. It's not just, hey guys, we ran out of food. The guys who didn't get poor enough. It's like, it's like survival of the fittest time. And they tell this story. They just prayed. They knew they didn't have enough for this situation. And they, they just went, I think Camilla remembers this as well, but they just said, don't look at the thing that you're taking out of. Just keep reaching in and keep giving. Just keep reaching in and keep giving. And we saw many amazing things in, in Mozambique, um, different things that fill me full of faith, that, that lead me to, to know that that story is true as well. And that's how God has called us to be. That's what I speculate. Just, just look in and just go. It's not like, oh, we don't, because you doubt. You doubt time and time again, but God wants you to reach in the basket and just give. And after they gathered up the leftover fragments that, and so that nothing may be, sorry. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets filled with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. People had had their fill. In John 6, from verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that had been done, when they saw the leftover food and when they saw where it had come from, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And this is a really important part because Jesus had attracted a crowd and then that crowd wanted to do something with Jesus. They wanted to take him by force. I don't know how that would look like. Can you imagine picking up Jesus and he's like, king, 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 he's going to be the king. I don't know how that would have gone, but Jesus, wise guy that he is, left before that happened. They wanted to make Jesus their physical king, and why not? This person who can heal the sick, command food to just appear, take care of all their physical needs, who better to come and overthrow the Roman government that they were being oppressed by at the time? They were waiting for a Messiah. They believed that they had found this Messiah, that this was going to be the guy that was going to take them out of slavery, take them out of oppression again, and deliver them into what God had promised them. And that speaks to us as well, as the crowd, as we know that we've come to Jesus this morning as a crowd gathered together. Are we coming to Jesus just to meet our physical needs? Is it a, it's as much as a stumbling block for them as it is to us, and is our faith only active when there's a need or hurt in ourselves? It's fine to go to God when that hurt happens. We pray strong when, we, when, we, when things happen, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus wants so much more to be a part of your life. He wants your life to operate in the overflow where it actually spills out to other people and where it actually, he, God blesses those he views with compassion out of that overflow. It's easy to get caught up in the Oceanside community. I've been, in, I've been here like, like eight or nine years now, and everyone I know is from Oceanside. We came to Oceanside a couple months after we'd been here. Um, I'd had a job and then left that job five years later when the church offered me a job. So like my whole community is you guys now. It's good. I love you guys. It's great being a part of this community. We have so many good and faithful friends. But when you've been in something such a long time... Are we just coming to church? Are we just part of this thing because it's our community? You know, what would I do without Oceanside? If my faith died tomorrow, I'd probably still come along. I'd probably say, hey, guys, you're all my friends. You know, that's not going to happen. Don't worry. But why are we here? Why are you here this morning? You know, are we coming to God just because we physically need him? Or are we coming to find out his mission, his purpose for him to use us? God wants to use us to physically reach people he has compassion for. 
Let me ask you this morning, one of the things that I've found helpful, again, going through life is, which people groups invoke the most amount of passion from you, compassion from you? And has God put that on you specifically? There's people, we're all gifted in different ways here, and there's different sections of Nanaimo that we're all called to do. We have a CPC charity. Um, we have the crisis pregnancy charity. You know, they're called to mothers. They're called to single mothers. They're called to mothers who are struggling uh, with, with thinking about abortion and different things like that. They're called to a specific people group. And then we've got a whole bunch of other people groups. We've got the loaves and fishes ministry that, that, uh, that, that we have lots of people. That, we've got acts on the street who are going downtown to speak to people downtown. God has put a people group on your heart. It might just be in your workplace or your family, but who has God put on your heart? If, God's put, if you can't think of anybody, you need to find out who God has on your heart. You need to ask God, show me who you're compassionate for. Show me who you're compassionate for as I walk throughout my week and let God use you. God wants to use you to reach the people that he has compassion for. And it's okay to ask him about that. A couple of verses that we didn't read. Actually, right after this scripture, Jesus walks on the water. And as for studying this thing, like he, he gets away. From, again, he leaves the crowds. He goes up on the mountain. Then the disciples depart by boat. There's a big storm. And then Jesus walks out on the water to the disciples. That's where that uh, nursery story happens as well. Maybe we need to speak about that one as well. Um, but that's what that happens. And the people who were just the, the 5,000 people there who were looking to Jesus to be king, they can't find him because they knew only the 12 disciples got on the boat. Jesus went over there and now they can't find the disciples. And actually it was kind of a cool exit strategy that, that Jesus had at the time to get, get away from those people. But again, they got to shore and they, the, a crowd, a smaller crowd found them again. And in John 6, 26, the crowd that have found him start asking for the food. They start asking for the bread. They start asking, hey, you did that thing over here. Let's, let's do that all the time. Let's do that three times a day. Sounds good, hey? <laughs> Sounds good to me. I open my fridge at home and it's full every time. Wow. There's no cost. There's no work. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Jesus answered them in, six, in John 6, 26. He answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. They're not even seeking him because he healed the sick. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." One of the other things that spoke to me out of the equip, Ty, Ty was speaking, I can't remember if it was in a leadership session or one of the other sessions, but he was talking about church planters. And he went to a conference where they were talking about people who church plant and they're under 35 and they're over 35. And the guy at the conference said, hey, people who ch plant churches who are over 35 see more salvations than the guys who are under 35. And Ty was shocked. He said, no, it should be the other way around. The young, crazy guy should be the one who uh, sees all the people saved, right? Um, I'm still under 35, so that's how I feel. I'm sure when I cross that bridge, I'm going to be like, no, it's the older guy. Yeah. Um, the over 35s were seeing way more salvations. And Ty took the guy aside and said, hey, what, these stats don't make sense. And it's because while the younger guys were living out a social gospel, they were doing lots of good works, the older guys were just crazy enough to believe that salvation was the important thing and not just the social works. And sometimes we can get caught up in that culture. It's like, we've got to go, we've got to go do, and we've got to feed the people. There's 5,000 people, there's 100,000 people in Nanaimo. We've got to feed them, we've got to reach every single one. Let me tell you, if they're not getting the bread of life, it yeah. doesn't matter. 
And it's still good. And we're still going to do these things. And we're going to still do the, the outreaches. And we want to do more. Mike and Deb's heart is to do more and more outreach. But it's not the goal of outreach just to feed people. Because people can come just for food. We need to introduce people. Finishing off in, in John 6, 34 to 40, Jesus talks more. It's quite a long interaction. Read the end of John 6, and this is a long interaction. Jesus is like trying to make it plain to these guys. It's not about the physical bread I just gave you. It's about the eternal bread. John 6, 34 says, They said to him again, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, and you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, that all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000 for exactly one meal. Maybe they stole a couple baskets afterwards. I know I was like that as a kid with the, the bread at communion. It's like, okay, take it to me. After the service, get a bit more bread. <sighs> it's okay. It's fine, guys. Um... um Jesus fed the, that crowd physically for exactly one meal. And this was before his resurrection. I'm hoping that the gospel got back to these people, went back to this town, and, and, and they realized at that point, oh man, he's risen from the dead. He, okay, that makes sense. He's the, he's the eternal Messiah, that kind of thing. And they became believers. But guess what? A lot of people who ate that day didn't become Christians. I presume. I hope they, hope they did. I, presu- I presume. Jesus wants to do amazing things through us. He wants to take what's in your hand that's not enough and he wants to do amazing things and he wants to physically provide for people in Nanaimo. But church, we've got to get alive with the actual gospel. Social justice is great. Standing up for people is great. We've got to do that and we've got to use that as the connection to reach people. But then we've got to tell them about the eternal bread of life. And that is so challenging for me this morning. I just want to be, I want to just do enough, enough nice things where people eventually ask me, hey, why are you so happy? If you know anything about me, I don't seem that happy sometimes. So that's not going to work for me. Maybe for Camilla. I need to actually speak to people. I need to actually look for opportunity to tell them about salvation, to tell them about the eternal life bread that Jesus has got for them. Is that good, church? Yeah. Yeah. So again, just a, 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 a simple message from a, from a story we've heard a few times before throughout our lives. But again, God has got good stuff for us in here. Um, I don't know, is there time for a worship song? Wes? It's up to you. Yeah. Okay. If the worship team want to come back up, I'm going to hand it over to Wes. Just a couple take home. What has God put in your hands? I believe this is significant as well. Who has God, who has God given you a heart for? Who has God given you a heart for? Sometimes we get names come to us during the week. I've started to reach out to those names, and I've started to see a significant 
reason of why God is putting names on, on, in my head spontaneously throughout the week, and it's because I need to reach out to that person because that person's going through a significant time. In the same way, God is activating something in you. He's activating a level of compassion where you see that particular person or you see that particular group of people or you're that particular nation, and he wants to wake you up because he wants to do something supernatural there. Don't ignore the things that God is putting on your heart. You know, you assume that everyone feels this way about this particular person or this particular people group. No, God has put something on you to reach out. He's saying, you feed this person. Don't send them away. They need to stay. But God is going to take what you've got. He's going to take it. He's going to bless it. We're going to look up to heaven. We're going to give thanks. And then out of that is going to come amazing, amazing work. There is a, I was going to list a whole long, long list of things that you can't do. I like that. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. There's a whole long list of things that we can't do in Nanaimo, you know, it's, or throughout the nations. The list is too long for the things that we can't do, but God can do everything. Yeah. And he wants to do it through his people. We want to see more of this. Be encouraged. Even though we started off heavy this morning, be encouraged that God wants us to go. Let's set our eyes on him this morning, church, as we go. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks. I just want to read something super quick and then we'll worship and then just a reminder we have our looking and lunch taking place right after the service. Second Corinthians 8 says this, Paul writes, and now brothers we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own and they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to God and then to us in keeping with God's will. Just to highlight in this story is that Jesus wasn't responding merely to the bleeding of sheep. If we live our lives just responding to the needs of people all the time, the reality is that we first respond to God. And when we respond to God, then we respond to people. If we respond to people, it'll always be out of obligation. But like the church there, they had nothing and they gave out of their lack because they first submitted themselves to God. And then from there, from the place of submitting to God and knowing His will, they responded to people. So just an encouragement for us as we're standing and worshiping, just allow God, just say, God, remind me of your will for my life. Remind me of those things. That I wouldn't just be constantly running around ragged trying to prove myself, but that I would be responding to what it is. Jesus could have allowed them to make Him king in that moment. But he knew it wasn't through people finding his blessing and make, forcing him king. It was through sacrifice that he would become king. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And so God has a will for our lives. Like Andy said, we can see the need and we can respond to the need. But let's do it from a place of knowing what he has called us to. Okay? Amen.